so today was one of those messages like this has been mulling over in my brain for for uh i don't know a few weeks now and it even came out when we were on a thursday night prayer one night i even talked about gideon and and what god was able to do with with 300 men um and believe that there's something in this message for us as a church body right that we have something that god doesn't give us the old testament purely for a dead historical purpose but he gives us an old the old testament because he has a pattern that he's worked with that he's still working with today right that's it and if you call yourself a believer and and if you call yourself a believer then i'll call you a believer because i'm taking you at your word but if you call yourself a believer there's an expectation that god has on your life that's it plain and simple and in the future, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of cruise control and coasting through life and some things that go with that. But so I'll, I'll leave that with that. But God has expectations for you as a believer. And, you know, the truth is, is some people will say, well, you know, if you don't do it, then God can't get things done. And I don't believe that. And there's a few reasons why I don't believe that, but let's just leave it at this for right now, and we'll get into that another time, that if God has something for you to do to serve a purpose and you don't do it, he's raising somebody else up to do it for you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be the guy that God can count on, right? Like you think about it, the Super Bowl was a few weeks ago, and even though the outcome didn't go the way that I wanted it to, and the teams that were in it weren't the ones I wanted to be in it, um, I still look at that, and you think about, like, these guys, the ones that are starting on that field aren't starting because they're unreliable. If you're unreliable, you're either off the team or you're at the very least you're sitting the bench. Right? The ones that get the opportunity to live out the fullness of who they are as a player are the ones that prove themselves reliable, that they can be counted on. And this is something that God has called all of us to. And Gideon has this strange story because, you know, it seems odd that there are times like you will go through the Bible and then, all of a sudden this name pops up and it's there for a short period of time and then we just move on. And Gideon's entire life story is told in three chapters, which I think I would like to have the, the exhaustive, expansive, expansive version of Gideon's life because I'm sure that the stuff that's highlighted isn't all that he accomplished because he was one of the, the greatest judges of Israel at the time. And he, he was a judge for... 40 years and he brought Israel from a, a position to where they weren't following after the Lord and that he helped usher in a, a, a newfound respect for God and what God was doing with the with the people of Israel and so there's I, I call this Gideon's rise to significance uh, it, you know I don't not really good at titles but when it pops up I just write it down and I'll just tell you what it is you can put it in your notes however you want, but that's how it is in my 
in my head when I was praying about it. And there's two things that we're going to talk about in this. One of them we're going to talk about today. Then the other one we'll probably talk about next week. I don't think that I have time to cover all of this in one week. And the great thing about being a pastor as opposed to a traveling minister is that I always have another week to finish. <laughs> Whereas as a traveling minister, trust me, I don't always have time to finish. And, and you know, we're, we're held confined to like a time zone time frame that's not always comfortable but two things are talk about here significance living in the identity God has given you and the second thing is size doesn't matter God can do way more with less now the world will tell us that's not true like you know imagine again go back to the Super Bowl and it's fresh in my mind because I was so hurt by the Super Bowl this year but uh you put, go back to the Super Bowl, and you, the world says you've got this many on one side and you got this many on the other side. And what if one team comes out two men short? Or better yet, I'll choose a sport that I know really well that I played at hockey. And when you're playing hockey, if you get a penalty, you go in the box and your team is short a guy. And if you get two penalties, Two people go in the box, and now it's five on three. And let me tell you, it's hard. I've been on the ice when you're defending on a five on three, and you are working your tail off because you've got extra people to cover and try to keep them from scoring, right? And I'll tell you, if you play the whole game five on three, I can prom almost promise you that you're going to lose the game. Now, there are exceptions to that, don't get me wrong, but I could almost promise you you're going to lose the game. But God says, you know what, you've got 32,000 people here, and you know what, Gideon, this is too many, because if you do it with this many, they're going to think that they did it themselves. So we're going to dwindle this down, and he dwindles it down to 300 and defeats the enemy with 300 without them ever having to raise a sword to get them on the run, which is quite amazing. And we'll talk about that another time. So significance and size doesn't matter. So we'll get into the significance part. Look, God has called us to live a life of significance. He has. And, you know, we can, we can argue that, that, you know, especially if you come from the mindset like I did, that, oh, I'm just a lowly sinner saved by grace. And woe is me. Look at where I'm at. I just, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do and no more. And, and if, he, if it's his will for me to do this, then I'll do it. And if it's not, then, then you know, I'll just do something else. And, and there's like almost an Eeyore tone to it, right? To where it's all pity party and everything that we say. The, oh, look at me, man. Look at this. Now this happened again. This it just keeps on happening. And I got a kind of a disgusting story on this is that we were having problems with our toilet in our RV. So um, I tore it out and I replaced a bunch of seals and it was. Let's just say that plumbers don't deal with the with the crud that I had to deal with there <laughs> because it's all in an enclosed pipe. This stuff, it's out there. And so I'm working on this, and I've spent a couple hours, and it's getting dark, and I'm literally up to my elbows and poo and getting this thing situated. I get all the seals replaced. I put it in. 
it works for exactly three flushes and goes right back to doing what it did before. Right? I'm ticked at that point. And so I'm like, I'm done. I'm not tearing this apart again. I'm not replacing seals again. Maybe I put something in wrong. Maybe I didn't, but that doesn't really matter. I'm buying a new toilet, and that's it. We're done with it. Right? So I go to see Joe at, at Wade's RV, and he gets me a toilet, and I put that toilet in, and I get everything set up, and, man, is it flush. is beautiful. Everything's working good. One day I walk into the camper, and I'm like, why does it smell like pee in here? And I go over to the girl's room, and it smells really bad like pee. I'm thinking one of my kids went to bed and didn't tell us and just threw stuff into the clothes hamper and didn't say anything. That's how bad the smell was. Well, we do laundry, find out it's in the laundry basket. We throw that away because it was a cloth-type cloth one, and we get a new one. Anyway, the smell doesn't go away. And so I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? I go into the bathroom, I look down at the base of the toilet, and there's a ring of water that's around the edges of that toilet. Now, Sid could probably tell you, because he put the toilet in here, that when you have that happen, what's the problem? It's the wax ring, right? There's, there's no wax on an RV toilet, it's a rubber seal. Fortunately, I had an extra one. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, man, God, First that toilet, now this toilet, and it just seems, when am I going to, and I start to have this pity party, and I'm like, wait a second, I can't go down this road. Why? Because God hasn't called me to sit down and dwell on what's not going right. He's called me to listen to him to figure out how to make it right. So I take the toilet out last night, I put a new seal on it, I, I double, triple checked and put it back together, and then I did the, another disgusting thing, I had to crawl into our basement underneath, our storage underneath, and I had to get up there with, with disinfectant Clorox wipes and wipe up the nasty in there because it smelled and, and got it all cleaned up so the smell is gone, and now the toilet seems to work fine. So I keep an eye on it because, you know, I keep an eye on it, but my point in that is to say that you can get caught up in that and you can get so upset about it and do something dumb like spend 200 and some dollars on a new toilet rather than fix the one that you have. But when you fix it and it doesn't work, who wants to try to fix it a second time? And we get frustrated with this stuff. And a lot of times in life, we can start blaming God for the junk in our lives. And God, you know what God's response is? Because he'll answer your prayer and you know what he'll say? Stand in front of that mirror because that's the problem that you have right there. Look into that mirror and what do you see? And, it, and this is what Gideon had an identity crisis. He did not know who he was. And a lot of us walk around today not knowing who we are. We don't know who we are in Christ. We think that we're a lowly sinner saved by grace. But as soon as you accept Jesus into your life, all of that lowly sinner stuff goes away and you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. Did I, is that right? Yes, my wife's on me all the time because I misquote that constantly. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. And if you've never had a conscience sitting in the back, your conscience sitting in the back of the room, I encourage you to try it out sometime. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> we are no more righteous today than we were the day that we were born again. You don't earn it. It's given to you. That's it. 
And all of the sin problem that you have is now done away with under the righteousness of God in Christ. Does that mean we don't make mistakes? No. But it does mean that we have a different way when we make mistake now. I'm one of those guys that when I make a mistake and I do something dumb, I can dwell on it for weeks. And it'll pop back up and I'll keep mulling over it and it'll drive me crazy. But God is like, look, we've dealt with it. It's done. Move on. And see, in, in my life with God, he's not, he doesn't coddle me. Oh, that's okay. You just, today was a rough day. We'll give it a shot tomorrow, little buckaroo. Good job, though. You didn't wet your pants. You didn't spit up food. You did a good job. That's not how God works with me. He says, look, even though you didn't spit up, you wanted to, fix it. Even though you didn't wet your pants, you almost, you wanted to because you were, didn't want to go to the bathroom, get over it and do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And that's how God works in my life. If he's not working that way in your life, then just work with what, what he's given you in relationship. But for me, that's what it is. And you know what? Sometimes that comes through other people, that correction. And again, my conscience that hangs out in the back of the room on Sunday mornings has put me in that place a lot. And it's not a bad thing. We need it. We need accountability. Unity is key for us to succeed in our personal walk with God. And it's a key to us succeeding as a church body going out into this community to bring the love of Christ. There is no second best with God. Trust me when I say it's okay if you miss it. He'll work with you. But the goal is never to just get by. The goal is to be on top of your game constantly. And we see that plays out in sports all the time. The players that start are the ones that are on top of their game all the time. Do they make mistakes? Yes. You know what used to make me mad? You guys probably don't know who I'm talking about, but years ago in the early 90s, the Lions had this quarterback, Rodney Pete. Rodney Pete was, he was a good quarterback, right? But they brought him in and he was getting paid like he was a top dollar, like best in the league, and he wasn't. But one thing that he used to do that used to make me so mad is he'd go out, that dude would throw an interception, and that camera would be on him. He'd take his helmet off, and he'd be smiling all the way to the bench. I'd be like, you, this is not time to smile. It's not. But you know what would happen more times than not? The next set of downs when he came back out, he had an amazing play that turned the direction of that portion of the game. And you know what I now have learned thinking back on that is that that smile wasn't him being okay with what he did. It's his coping mechanism to let it go because the next play is what's more important than what just happened. You can't change what just happened, but you have everything to do with where you're going. And if you lose focus on that, the devil will defeat you every single time. So significance. We're called to a life of significance. 
That doesn't mean that you're going to be the next great TV evangelist. I pray that you're not a TV evangelist for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because you literally you limit your crowd to believers. How many unbelievers do you know that flip through the channels and end up on TBN? Once in a great while, but typically your only audience is believers which is fine. If God's called you to building up the body of Christ, that's one thing. But he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling man to God. All of us are called to that. So a life of significance is important because you cannot influence a circle of people that you don't have influence in. And it's not prideful to say that. I've prayed this every time we go into disaster. I always pray, God, give us a position of influence. Why? Because if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do there, we need to be able to have the support of the people that are around us that God has us working with. Significance is huge. Influence is huge. So living in the identity God has given us, and we know our identity is in Christ. We are a born-again child of the living God, and not to get all cocky and arrogant like I've been at a restaurant where somebody got put in the booth they didn't want to be in, and they're like, do you know who I am? I'm a child of the living God. And when you're in Tulsa and you live in Tulsa, you, you see this stuff more than you'd like to admit, right? It's insane. That's not what I'm saying here. But you are. You need to see yourself as that. You don't usurp your authority in every place that you go unless God tells you to. But what it is saying is that wherever you go, he goes with you. That's it. And you know what? Many times we get caught up in this God's favor and I'm a child of God and so I have his favor and so I'm going to get the best of this and the best of that. Have you ever thought that maybe getting the worst seat in the house you got that because the worst seats in the house are are taken care of by people that are new to newer to the job and and don't have as much experience or aren't as good with customers and you get an opportunity to encourage them to lift them up to help them grow to challenge them to love them So just because you're not at the best table does not mean that you're not experiencing the favor of God. It just means that your definition of his favor is skewed. That's it. Do you know one day I'm walking, I I go to, to Lowe's and I'm in Tulsa and I'm parked and I've got the trailer so I'm parked way out because there's no place close typically that you can park because I don't know what it is. But when you go to Lowe's and they have trailer parking, you go in there and somebody thinks that they can just park there because it's open. And so there's a little bitty smart car parked in the trailer spot. Now I've got no place to park. So I have to park way out in the back. And so I'm thinking, God, what is going on here? And I'm walking in one day and this guy is walking out. And I'm way out by my truck and he's walking out to his vehicle And on the way, he stops and starts talking to me about my beard. I'm not self-conscious of my beard, but I don't really, it's not my 
thing. I don't want to stop in a parking lot and let's have a conversation about what products I use in my beard. I think, look, I'm not a lady. I know that sometimes ladies like this stuff, but I'm not one, and I don't really want to do this. But he starts talking to me about it, and I get an opportunity to share some some insight that I have, and then in the conversation, it comes up about where I'm going on Sunday. I don't know. I don't remember how it does, and but I tell him, you know, oh, we go to this church called Occupied in Tulsa, and he's like, oh, really? Where's that at? I've never heard of it. So, well, most people haven't, but you're welcome to come. Never saw the guy there. But my point in saying this is that because I felt like I was shorted in the area of favor, God had other plans for a, a divine encounter with somebody to encourage them in their walk with God. Do you know that most people that we come in contact with in the community don't know Jesus the way you do? I'll say, I'll even dare to say that most people that you run into in a church somewhere don't know Jesus the way that you do. Do you understand the how amazing it is the connection that you get to have with Jesus in this place? We're not we're not the cat's meow. We're not the best of the best, but what we are is we are ones that are willing to do exactly what God wants us to do when he wants us to do that. A lot of churches don't offer that to people. They don't experience the move of the Holy Spirit because the move of the Holy Spirit might make it so that they have one extra song and then that will be over time and the pastor won't get his time in the spotlight and all the, and the the biggest struggle in, in bands seems to be the, the lead singer gets all the attention and everybody else is just kind of behind them. And now the lead singer of the worship band is getting the pastor's time. And look, you might think this is petty, but it's a real thing. It's very real. Musicians are an interesting group of people to work with. And you know what? Musicians and pastors a lot of pastors have the same mentality. They do. They want Look, I'm telling you right now that if somebody stood up right now and said, look, I think that I've got what the rest of what needs to be said today, and you take the pulpit and you finish it out, and God shows up and miraculous things happen, I'm not the least bit offended by that nor am I intimidated by the fact that God would use a lowly person in the seats to do my huge, important, high pedestal job. I've said it before, I'll say this until the day I die. The only difference between you in the seats and me here is calling. That's it. This is what God called me to do. And trust me, on a lot of days, you don't want this job. But if God calls you to do it, we will do everything that we can to prepare you and to build you up and to put you in position for success. Because it's not about the person behind here. It's about him. That's it. It's about his name going forth, not mine. You don't see my name or Dara's name anywhere on this building, and you won't. I would love for people to come in here for a month and, and at the end of the month come up and say, so who's the pastor here? Because you've had three different people speak on Sunday. 
That's us fulfilling the call of God in our lives. Paul says, what does he say? Each one of you comes with a word. Each one of you comes with a tongue. Each one of you comes with a prophecy. You're not supposed to just sit in the seat and fill it and warm it up. You're supposed to come here to bring what God has put in you over the week to the rest of the body of Christ here so that we can be equipped to go out into the community and win people for Jesus. Like we, we went to this thing, and I'm not even close to my notes, and so we'll just have to do this another time. I'm just going to go with where God has us going right now. We went to the, these meetings in our church in Tulsa on Sunday night and Monday night this last week, and they talked about honor, and that's one of the things that Dara brought up is, is honor and position, and God puts us in position. And look, here's what I'm going to tell you. You know my stance is you don't have to call me pastor. But the reality is that there's something in it for you if God has called you to refer or to honor a position. There's something in it for you that is important for you to do that. So do it. I'm not offended by it. If you say, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, and I ignore you, it's not because I don't hear you. It's because I think you're talking to somebody else. I'm not going to lie. It happened to us at Karen's wedding. We're coming out of the church, and I hear, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor. And my wife turns to me and says, I think he's talking to you. I'm like, me? <laughs> and so I turn around, and sure enough, he's talking to me. There's, some, there's an area of this that I'm just not used to, and we're working through it. But if God has put it on your heart that it is important to honor a position with a title, then by all means, honor the position with a title. I'm not going to rob you of that because God is doing something in you, even in little things like how you refer to people. But that is not my goal to be the guy in front of this church every Sunday. And in fact, there are taught she didn't really preach she taught last week Karen's teaching the week before Easter and then Dara's doing Easter again it's not about I'm not here because I want to be up in front all the time if I'm up in front of here one thing that you can be sure of is that I'm probably hearing something from the Lord that needs to be shared but I'm not doing it because I want to be here I'm doing it because this is what God has called me to do and he's given me a word and, it, and that word needs to go forth at any cost to my own, my own personal feelings and my own personal whatever. I need to get over it. Why? Because I prayed for a position of significance, for a place of significance, and you know what? God honored that and put me here and I am now required to fulfill that when he tells me to do it. I don't have a choice. But you know what? Neither do you. None of you. If you prayed about something and God answers it, and then you go, oh, crap, he just answered that. What do I do now? Just do it. Nike, I'm not promoting Nike, but they had something with that saying. Just do it. You can just do it without a swoosh on your shoe, but just do it. 
Don't let the devil tell you that you're insignificant, that you don't matter, that you, don't have, you can't possibly have something to say that's going to influence anybody in any way, shape, or form. It's a lie, and it's from the pit of hell. You have significance. And we see it in, in Judges, and I'll start this with this scripture, and we'll, we'll get into this more next week and see how far we get. And I'm not saying I'm closing, but I might be closing. So that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. In Judges 6, 11 through 12, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a, a terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah. I think that's how you pronounce that. I know, I know. But New Testament's not always e- easy either. So, Which belonged to Joash and Abizrites. While the Abizrite, Ab- Abizrite, yeah. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So I was in the military. And when we were in the Middle East at the beginning of the original Gulf War and we're sitting in the desert and we're at, we've got this like 12-foot berm, 10 or 12-foot berm that's surrounding our entire compound as a line of protection so that people can't just run in and, and do crazy stuff. We're on the berm one night and... And uh, while we're on the berm, it's the middle of the night. It's like 2 in the morning. We're all tired. We're all ticked off, and we're all grumbling and complaining. I promise you that that happens nonstop in the military. We're grumbling and complaining, and all of a sudden we hear, and you look in the sky, and there's two flares going up. One, boof, it's red, and one, boof, it's green. So... I don't know what it is now, but at that time, when you saw green and red clusters, what we called it, and flares, that meant that you put on all of your biological and chemical suit from top to bottom, head to toe. So you had these booties that went on. You had this charcoal-filled suit that you had slid on over that got all over your clothes. It was disgusting. And then you had this big heavy coat that you put on, and then you had a gas mask that you put on, and you had gloves that you put on, and all of that stuff. That thing went up, right? And I can promise you that when that goes up, that the entire grumbling and complaining shifts, and the entire atmosphere shifts. There's two directions to go. One is complete and utter terror and fear, which happened to some guys. And then there's a, a, a re- the other way is a realization of the importance of letting all that junk go and just focus on what you need to do. And so we got all of our stuff on, and then we're on the berm. And I remember the next day afterward that we were doing something, and all I could think about were the guys who were frozen in fear. And my thought was, I don't want to fight next to them. I don't want to. Because if I fight next to them, I have no guarantee that they're going to do what it takes to protect me. Because they're going to put fear before, before, uh, before what is before them to do. 
and they're going to put fear for their own life ahead of the well-being of the mass as a whole. And so when I read this scripture, that's what I think about. When you see this, where it says in there that he was cowering in a wine press. It says that he, it says that, uh, that he was in there hiding from the Midian, Midianites. And then in, in the, the Passion Translation, it says Yahweh's angel suddenly appeared to Gideon and said, Yahweh's presence goes with you, man of fearless courage. In the New Living, they call him a mighty hero. The Lord is with you. And you hear those names that, that God is calling him and you see what he's doing and something doesn't compute. A man of valor does not hide out in a wine press threshing wheat because he's scared of an enemy. The deliverer of Israel is surely not going to be hiding out in a wine press. While the enemy is surrounding them, he's going to be standing up and taking his position with honor and fearlessness and courage. But no, the deliverer of Israel is cowering in a wine press. And how many times have we been in that situation where God has called us to do something or he said something about us and we're like, no, no, it's not me. Nope. God, I, I know you're, you're all knowing. I know that you're all omnipresent. I know you got all, you're all these things, but you got this wrong. There's no way. And trust me, I've had those conversations about being a pastor. But at the end of the day, God is calling me what He sees me as, not what I'm acting like. My kids act like little babies sometimes. But I don't call them little babies. Why? Because they're not. They are not. I see something in them that they're not even seeing in themselves. And God is saying the same thing to you. Stop seeing yourself for less than what I am calling you. It's not what he's seeing you as. You know that God's words came forth and created everything that's around us. So when he speaks something, it means way more than him thinking about it. And if he speaks something in your life, don't ignore it. Why? Because he's trying to create something in you that may not even exist right now. God spoke pastor into our lives years ago. We didn't see it. We didn't see possibility. We didn't want it. But he spoke it because as soon as he spoke it, when he said, light be, boom, it was. And then at that point, it started expanding through the universe at the speed of light. When God speaks it into your life, Bam! It's done, and it starts to expand at his speed, which is way different than ours. Don't let the world tell you what you can and cannot do. Do not tell yourself that you're anything less than what he's declared you to be. And it starts with us understanding that we are a child of the living God 
We are beloved. We are his beloved children. When God spoke that over Jesus after he got baptized and came up out of the water, Jesus had done nothing in ministry at that point. But what were his words? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not about what you accomplish or what you think you accomplish for God. It's about what he has spoken over you. That's it. And we are not called in this community to cower in a little building at 5398 East 7th Street in Joplin, Missouri, 4801, 64801. And I'm saying that because it took me a long time to remember that, so now I know it. We are not called to cower in this building. That's what Third Thursday is about. It's about us getting out into the community and not just saying, hey, how's it going? Here's a coffee cup. But to say, hey, how's it going? Can we pray for you? Do you have a church home? If you do, great meeting you. I'm glad we're family members. Just get plugged in and do everything that God has for you to do there. But if you don't have a church home, by all means, come visit. God is moving in this place. And in order for us to succeed at what he's called us to do, we cannot cower in fear because we're just little old abundant life. We got about 20 people that show up on Sunday. And on a good day, we might have 22, maybe 23 No, we need to see ourselves the way that God speaks about us. We are a mighty church in the kingdom of God because he's called us to be. We cannot sit back. We cannot let anything other than what he says about us be reality in our lives. And it's tough. But we're family. We're here to help. We're here to help each other. And I'm not kidding. If you believe that God's called you to do something, He's put something on your heart that you don't see at the church, come talk to us. But come talk to us knowing that it might not fit where we're at right now. And that's okay. But you know what? You might say something and God will drop it in us. That's what I was talking about. Go with that. And we will. Gina knows it happened to her. Whether she wanted it or not, it happened to her. You have a you you don't need to pray for a position of significance. You're already significant in this family. That's it. So be encouraged. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. And it's not just to warm a seat. It's not. Father, I just thank you this morning. God, I just thank you that that your word went forth this morning and that you have said what you needed to say, God. And I thank you, Father, that anything that you didn't want said, we left alone. God, it's about you, Father. It's about you being magnified and glorified. 
in this body. Father, I just pray for everybody in here right now, God. God, you have called everybody to something. So I pray that you would just continue to give them insight and wisdom into what that is. And continue to pour into us on how to best utilize people for the talents and the gifts that you've given them. God, I just thank you that we are going places. That we may not be the redeemer of Israel, but we're going to be a part, we're going to have a part to play in the redemption of lives. Because what we carry in us is greater than what's in the world. We thank you, Father. We praise you for this morning. Give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you guys got something out of that. That I, I literally, I got through like a paragraph and a half. <laughs>